I uh, always feel privileged to be able to bring something uh, of a message from God to you. I especially feel that way today. Uh, I'm always unworthy. I especially feel that way today. And um, just before uh, we came in here and began the service, uh, I got pinged on an email and opened it up, and it was from Leon that many of us miss, a former Meadowbrook uh, member that is now 3,000 miles away from us. And Leon says, Scott, I don't know what in the world's going on at Meadowbrook today, but God's got me praying. And I was so grateful to get that word from him because it's just been my sense. Uh, God's always up to something in these gatherings, but it feels a little extraordinary today. And uh, men, especially so, for you. As God continues to call us to be courageous and follow him into foreign circumstances like an Abraham and into fearsome conflicts like a Gideon, into family challenges that we all experience day by day, week by week, month by month. So let me ask you what I've been asking you the last couple of weeks. Do you follow God? And when I ask that, I'm not asking, are you moral? Are you a good person? I'm not asking, are you religious? Do you engage in religious practices and rituals? I'm asking, do you follow him? That means that you know him. You discern something about what he is doing. And you go where he's going and you do what he's inviting you to do with him. Say, that's a pretty big order. Yes, it is. It's extraordinary. It is out of this world. It's very dynamic. A lot of it happens in an unseen, faith-based kind of way. You go, Scott, uh, you know, I, I do all I can do to make it on Sundays and occasionally go to a small group and every now and then look at my Bible, uh, you're, you're in another ballpark from where I am right now. Now, friend, it's a lot more simple than that. God is doing thousands and millions of things every day, but overwhelmingly, those things pretty much come down to two major things. And one of those is that God is saving lives. God is constantly, consistently pursuing people, stirring their hearts, softening their hearts, so that they might respond to Him and know His forgiveness for sin, justification, reconciliation, redemption. In other words, have a relationship with Him. Be saved from separation from Him forever. He's about that all The time. And a second major thing that God is doing is that He is transforming the lives of those that He saved. You see, it is a misconception to think, okay, let me just get my act together, let me just get my life together, and then I'll come to God, or then I'll approach God, or something like that. It never happens that way, friends. Never. We can't get our lives together. And so God pursues us, God cares about us, God moves toward us and seeks to embrace us just the way we are. 
screwed up and all. And once He embraces us and we respond to Him in faith, then He begins a process that goes on every moment of every day, the rest of your life, of changing your life, of transforming you, so that you become more and more like Christ. He is constantly saving lives and transforming the lives of those He saved. And so when we say, do you follow God? Friends, I've just given you the overwhelming majority of what that looks like. To follow Him means that you join Him in His saving activity. You pray for your friends. You care about your friends. You are compassionate about your friends. You share your faith with your friends. You allow them to see God operating within you. And all of this is used by God in His work to save them. And then you cooperate with him about his changing your life and how he's changing the lives of those around you that he's just saved. And so you pray with them and you encourage them and you do study with them and you're in a small group with them and you gather to worship with them and you serve alongside of them. These are the ways that we follow God. Falls into two big primary categories. It's it's not rocket science. Do you follow God? This takes place in our workplaces, in our social circles, in our neighborhoods, across our country, and especially, especially in our families. Now, I have been talking to you for the last few weeks about the recently released movie, Courageous. just came out this weekend. Did anybody by any chance get to see it? Yeah, a couple of you. Okay. Sherry and I got to see it, and I, I still recommend it to you. Now that I've seen the thing, I'm more taken with it than before. But in short, it's a story about four police officers who have to show courage every day on the streets of their city. But when it calls to showing up in their families and being courageous as husbands and as fathers within their families, they're pretty challenged about that. And God begins to show up in their lives in some extraordinary ways. And I'm going to take you to a clip where they're gathered around for a barbecue and somehow the discussion turns to talking about their dads and the impact that their dads have had upon them. Check this out. <laughs> They're in there wanting to know what we're talking about. Obviously. I'm not talking about anything. I mean, this steak was great. Thing tastes just like my dad's, and that guy used to grill out all the time. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, speaking of dads, they emailed the share Fred the other day. Think that thing was accurate? I do. I grew up seeing that kind of stuff all the time. You know, I wonder where all the good fathers went to. Ain't that the truth? What? Remember you talking about your dad? Wasn't he like an usher or something at your church? Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. As soon as the church service started, he'd step out back for a smoke. You know, one time, he says to me, I better not catch you drinking. I had a beer in his hand when he said it. <laughs> My mom used to nag him. That is until they got divorced. <sighs> it's not like I don't love the guy, but it's kind of hard to respect a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. What about you, David? Ooh. I had a good dad. I guess. I mean, the guy wasn't perfect. 
my parents split after the affair. But I think he regretted it, and I struggled with it for a while, but, you know, divorce just comes with the territory now. I disagree, man. Divorce happens because you're making an option. Nathan, you don't always know what's going to happen. You know, people change. You can't always work stuff out. Sometimes you need to part ways. I think I agree with Nathan. Thank you. Uh, people don't fight for their marriage anymore. That's right. What are you get married? Have some kids. You're going to figure out real quick how much you don't know. Man, if it wasn't for my faith in God, I'd be in a tailspin right now. Yeah, me too. Mm. Look, guys, not everyone believes in that stuff. You guys are all religious, and that's fine, but you can't think religion is the only way to live your life. Religious? Yeah. It didn't work out for your parents. Didn't they get a divorce? <laughs> that's the problem. They were never married. Listen, my dad had six children from three different women, and I was the fifth child. Before I was born, he had already left. I'm 37 years old, and I've never met my biological father. Well, it looks like you turned out all right. Well, that's because a man in my neighborhood named William Barrett mentored me as a teenager, taught me about God. Every Father's Day, he's the one that I call. I'm telling you, man, not having a father as a child, man, scarred me in more ways than I can count. So it gets you thinking about your dad, about your home life, about your family of origin. We all have our unique story. We all have our unique journey. It all matters. It's all made an impact upon us. The question is now, what do we do about it? Where do we go from here? And what this series, and particularly this hour, has been about is... Will we gain some courage from God in order to follow God, whether it's into foreign circumstances or into fearsome conflicts or today into family challenges? And we've got them. Family is more challenging today than any time I've seen it in the 30 plus years of ministry I've been doing. It's more complex. It's fraught with more Landmines than I've ever seen before. And it takes courage to go there with God, be a man of God, be a woman of God, be the kind of husband, the kind of wife, the kind of parent that God's calling us to be. Now, to this point, we've been going through a lot of Israeli history. I started you off with Abraham. We saw God make a covenant with him that resulted in his descendants becoming a nation called Israel. They had been delivered from Egyptian oppression in the time of Moses. Then they entered this promised land in the time of Joshua. And they had the hardest time following God. They followed him for a while, then they drift away. They followed him for a while, then they drift away. A whole lot like us. And God raised up at that point to help lead them and challenge them and encourage them. People called judges. And that's where we got introduced to Gideon last time. As we continue to inch forward a little bit in history, now we're moving past the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And the first king is a guy by the name of Saul. And in Saul's reign, there was a uh, proverbial as well as literal pain in his side called Philistia. 
This was a group of very aggressive people that came in and basically inhabited the entire west coast of uh, what had been Israel. And um, you probably better know them by the tag Philistines. And Saul and his armies were constantly at war with the Philistines, who were um, pretty tough warriors, and they were tough to conquer, and they were tough to overcome. And on the episode that we're going to be looking at today, uh, we're going to be introduced to a boy by the name of David, and he's going to take on a Philistine champion named Goliath. So it's a very familiar story to you, and you're going to want to open your Bible. You're going to want to read every verse with me. It's some of the best reading in the entire Bible. First Samuel chapter 16 and chapter 17. Uh, I, I do hope you brought it. If you didn't, you're going to want to read this when you go home because... Uh, the way God shows up in the lives of the people in this story is uh, remarkable, and that's why we still tell about the story today. The location for where we're going to focus our attention is a, a valley called Elah. It's about right there where that arrow is, and it's in that valley that the big confrontation will take place. So let's start to read together in First Samuel 16. And we're going to pick it up in verse 7. Now, as I mentioned, Saul was king. Saul did some things good. Saul did some things bad and uh, sinned before the Lord. And it came to a point that God said, you know what? I'm going to take the kingdom away from Saul. And I'm going to put in his place a man of my choosing. Now, in this day, there was a prophet that God used in Israel frequently, and his name was Samuel. And so he begins to speak into the life of Samuel, and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And there you're going to find a family that's headed by a guy named Jesse. And Jesse has several sons, and one of those is the one that I'm choosing to be the next king of Israel. I want you to go and anoint him and mark him as the one that I'm choosing to be the next king. And Samuel's like, well, you know, if I go over there and do this, Saul's going to kill me. He goes, I'm going to work it out so that Saul doesn't even know that you're doing this. Okay, just follow me. And so he does. He goes to Bethlehem. He finds the home of Jesse. And he begins to talk to Jesse and says, I need to see your sons. And so he brings out the oldest son. And he's thinking, man, this is a big strapping guy. He's, he's in the king's army. He must be the one that God's going to anoint. And God kind of says to Samuel, no, that's not the one. And he brings out son number two, son number three, son number four. He goes through seven sons. And every time he is being told by God, this isn't him. This isn't him. And finally, he asks Jesse, is this all your sons? I mean, is there not another one? And he goes, well, yeah, I've got one more, but he's a boy and he's out tending the flocks. Let's pick up the story in chapter 16, verse 7. So uh, the oldest boy had been brought before Samuel. Samuel's thinking, this must be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So as I said, he goes through the second one, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And finally, Jesse is going to bring before him David. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in 
And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, this is what I want us to kind of zero in on for the remainder of these minutes that we're going to talk about it. Friends, this is not just a day where God says, hey, let's have a little Bible study and look at some scripture verses. This is a day that God has sought to meet with us in defining, marking kinds of ways. I believe God wants to anoint us for the challenges of family living today. And so we're going to learn what that looks like by looking at the life of David. And the first thing that we see in this part of the story is that it's about the heart. God is not concerned, uh, as John was talking about earlier, with the mask, with the pretense, with the facades, with the images that we can create and project. He doesn't even look at that kind of junk. He looks right past it into the heart. And it wasn't like there was something extraordinary in David's heart that won God over. God put something in David's heart to be the man that God was going to have David be. And friends, that's the point I want us to be able to capture today. God knows your heart. He knows all the junk that's in your heart. He knows all the wounds that have been inflicted on your heart. He knows all the wounds that you've inflicted on the hearts of other people. He knows you thoroughly inside and out. He also knows what He has put in your heart and what He purposes to call forth from your heart. For Him, it's all about the heart. As we go through this journey... Of his anointing us. And we're going to turn a page. We're going to look at the next scene. And that's where we're going to be introduced to Goliath. And I just want you to get a little perspective on Goliath. Okay? Because uh, he's going to be described in very ancient language. And even in the ancient language, you get the picture. This guy's big. But I want you to get the picture of how big. So archaeological findings have helped us to discern that the average person in that day that would have been about David's age would have resulted in him being about five foot two. That's just a little taller than my little wife. Okay? Now, uh, the tallest man in the Guinness Book of World Records is eight foot 11. Tallest man in the world right now, eight foot 11. That's a big guy. I used to play basketball. I had seven footers on my team. I know what a seven footer looks like. I can't imagine an eight footer. As you understand the ancient language describing Goliath's height, he's about nine foot six. And if you've ever seen Shaquille O'Neal play basketball, the guy's seven foot one. He doesn't come close to Goliath. Okay? So I just want you to kind of get that perspective as we uh, continue in the story. We're going to pick it up in chapter 17, verse 2. 
So Saul and the men of Israel were gathered. They're still fighting these Philistines, right? And they were encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now let me help you with the visualization. Here is a panoramic view of the valley of Elah. So two big hills on either side, large valley in between, which is just perfect for guys engaging in mortal combat, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, and so on. And so you've got the Philistines on one side, you've got the Israeli army on the other side, and as they're getting ready to go to battle, coming down the Philistine side is this huge, gigantic Goliath. And with the auditory echoing that the valley would provide, he begins to issue a challenge. Verse 4, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield-bearer went before him, and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I've got no bashing of Saul today. I'm right there with him. Okay. Uh, No way do I think I'm better than Saul. I've probably been right in the same place that Saul was. But here's what I want us to notice that's going to take place in the story. As God uh, begins to do his work of anointing his men, his women, he's not only looking at the heart, but notice that there is a holy, let me get it on the right slide, a holy indignation that begins to well up in an anointed heart. So he has issued this bellowing challenge. Everybody is shirking back in fear. Meanwhile, Jesse has sent his little boy David to the army with some food for his brothers. He's got three brothers that are fighting in the battle. And so he shows up with a sack full of food for his brothers just about the time Goliath begins this challenge and issuing this call. Everybody's cowering back. And listen to how David responds to all of this, uh, beginning in, where am I, 26. So David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, friends, it's one thing to be indignant. 
It's one thing for something to befall you circumstantially, and it just really put you out and makes you mad and it ticks you off and things like that. And it's an altogether other thing for that to be holy. And what you are hearing from young David is a holy indignation. In other words, he's not just put off that this Philistine champion is out there challenging the armies of Israel. It's that he's defying God. And already a thing with him and God has taken place so that on behalf of God, he's insulted. Who do you think you are to speak of my God in that kind of way? Somebody needs to shut your mouth is basically what David is getting at. Now, let's bring that home. I grew up in a home that was so busted and so dysfunctional. And my parents grew up in homes that were so busted and so dysfunctional. My mother's father abandoned their family when she was 16. My father's father abandoned his family when he was a small child. They get out of high school and they think it's a good idea for them to bring their two busted lives together and be married. And emerging out of their marriage is a busted, dysfunctional home and family. So that by the time I am becoming a young adult, I'm scared to death of marriage. And I wonder, God, would you ever... Want me to marry and take the risk of what's gone on in my ancestry a couple of generations at least? And God, had, and this had nothing to do with how delightful Sherry was and what a winsome, wonderful catch, if you will, she would have been for my life. But I was so busted about the whole family marriage thing. I had to agonizingly pursue God to say, you really want this? You really want this? You really want this? And he had to do something extraordinary in my heart to say, yes, I do. Take that step. And you can tweak that a few degrees. And I was even more anxious about being a father. Because I knew fathers can really screw up the lives of kids. And I never, ever wanted to screw up the life of a kid. And not only that, kids can screw up the lives of parents. I screwed up my parents' lives. And they returned the favor. I mean, it was a pretty crazy situation. And not only that, kids can die. And when I saw my 10-year-old brother suddenly die one day and how it destroyed my mother, I'm like, I don't think I can ever go through that. I don't think I can survive it. And so, yeah, I was afraid to become a father. Now, my situation is pretty extreme. Okay? You're sitting there going, gosh, I'm glad that wasn't mine. Because mine was a lot more sane. It was a lot more normal. I had Christian parents. I had this. I had that. Okay. You've got other stuff. There are reasons, men... Why, you don't love your wife well. I know what my reasons are. There are reasons why you won't disciple your children and help them to love Jesus. I know what my challenges were. 
There are reasons why you won't have a godly home that's fully integrated into the work of God and the church of God. I know what my issues were. What are yours? Listen, if, if, th- if those issues have you under its thumb, it's big enough. It's a Goliath. And the question is, can you, will you know God? Have relationship with God in such a way that He so grips your heart, you begin to be indignant about the challenges that face you and your family. What is this family challenge that would defy a living God? What is this family challenge that would stare in the face of a son of the living God? When God's Spirit begins to anoint and rest on you in those kinds of ways, it so transforms your heart, holy indignation begins to erupt over those kinds of issues. And you will fight those issues. And you will overcome, by God's grace, those issues. Whatever those issues are. Let's continue to read. See where the story goes. Verse 32. So David said to Saul, can you imagine the boy gets an audience with the king and he says to him, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. Now, it's almost impossible for anybody in the room to be reading this for the first time. But if you're reading this for the first time, you just have to be going, what a smart aleck kid. This punk has no idea what's going on, the gravity of the situation, to whom he is speaking. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him. I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Incredibly, Well, then go, and the Lord be with you. (laughs) This just marvels me on every level. I want you to notice a hearty initiative. Now, that word hearty is maybe not a word you use all the time, but it basically means bold and courageous. It means audacious. It means fearless. And David is not sitting back. wonder if anybody will step up and challenge that giant Goliath. But with initiative comes forward and says, I'll do it. And I use the word hardy because most of the time, if you do hear the word, you hear it in the negative. That was fool hardy. 
That is to say, bold and courageous for no good reason. That was foolish. That was silly. That was stupid. But I'm contending that this was hardy for good reason. Because he'd already seen God show up. I mean, can you imagine your teenager watching flocks and a lion comes and attacks? And he goes after and he slays a lion or slays a bear. Can you even imagine that? But that had already been David's experience. And so it was not foolhardiness. It was a hardiness that had been based upon prior experience with God. God helped me. He delivered me from the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear. I'm confident he will deliver me from an uncircumcised, God-blaspheming Philistine. Friends, you already have experiences with God where he has proven himself to you. You have already had at some time, multiple times in your life, answered prayers. He has already showed up for you around a financial situation, around a health situation, around a, a needing for guidance kind of situation. He has already showed up for you time and again and built a track record with you that says, you can trust me. And so there was a hearty initiative. Give me the challenges that are before me for the sake of God and the sake of my family. One more little reading as we get to the end of the story in verse 43. So the Philistine comes down from his side. David comes down from his side and they meet down there in the valley of Elah, right? You got that picture? And when Goliath sees David, he's insulted. Out of all the warriors in Israel, this is what they send to me, a boy with a stick. Come on. I am going to so rip this kid apart, it will be embarrassing. I'm going to feed his flesh to the dogs. Listen to this. Verse 43. So the Philistine came down to David and he said, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, You come to me and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beast of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards 
the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. It's a lot of days out of Bible history that I would have liked to have been present and to seen, and that is one of them. And what I want you to particularly notice out of this exchange is what I would call a healthy impudence. A healthy impudence. Now, impudence is not that great of a virtue or quality in and of itself. It basically just means brash, cocky, arrogant. Unless it's healthy. And in this case, David was so possessed, touched, embraced, transformed by the workings of God in his heart that he ran toward the battle. That scenario blows me away. It wasn't just a matter of, I've got my sling, I've got my stone, whoa, here it goes. And Goliath brings it to him. He took it to Goliath. And friends, let me again bring it home. Passivity is killing the American family. Men sitting back and waiting for it to come to them. Oh, if, you know, I just have to wait for the right time to approach her about this. I hope she'll get in a better mood about that. I hope my kid will allow this to happen or that. And and we wait and we wait for the right thing, the right time, the right opportunity. Come on. If God stirs your heart to love your wife in a certain way, go. If God stirs your heart to be humble and go ask for forgiveness, go. If God stirs your heart to have prayer and a Bible reading with your kid, go. If God stirs your heart and says, we're going to go and be a part of this activity and serve God in our church, then go. Go. Take it on. And guys, I don't mean this in any kind of condescending way. Here's the point. God has put it in your heart. It's already there. And when He calls for it, He's not looking for you to find something that isn't already in your heart. He's put it there. He's calling it out of your heart. Now, what we're talking about is absolutely based upon a relationship with God. You will never, ever get to where we're talking about today with religion. Morality. Rituals. Because the kind of trust that we're talking about that engenders this kind of courage... 
comes out of knowing Him. You can't trust Him if you don't know Him. And you can't know Him without Jesus. Jesus is the means by which we get to know God. And so my question to you is, will you get to know Him through Christ? That means you're going to have to spend some time with Jesus. It means you're going to have to spend some time in Scripture. You're going to have to spend some time in prayer. You're going to have to spend some time in a small group where these kinds of things are being worked out. Will you do that? Will you build your life on Him? Not add Him on, how can I get a little of God going? No, you build it around Him. And will you put a stake in the ground today and mark it? I'm going to be a man of God. By God's grace, I am going to be a man. A woman of God. And by His grace, I am resolved to that. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen over the next two minutes. I'm going to articulate a full resolution that basically says I'm going to be the man that God's asked me to be, that God's put in my heart. I'm going to be the woman that God's asked me to be. He's put it in my heart. I'm going to allow Him to bring it out, to call it out of me. I'm resolved to that end. And I'm going to walk you through that resolve line by line. And men, if this is your resolve today, then in the name of Jesus, I'm going to invite you after the resolution to come and mark it by being anointed with oil. There's nothing magical about that. The oil touching David's head did nothing for David except mark it. That God was at work in him in that kind of way. And so in a moment, men, if that's your resolve, I'm going to invite you forward, receive an anointing with oil, mark the day, and go forward in His grace. I'm also going to hand you a copy of the resolution so you don't forget about it later. Women, Because I'm talking to all men. I'm talking to whether you're 15 or 95. Whether you're single and unmarried or married. If this is your resolve, you come. And women, if it's one of your sons, or if it's your husband, or your sibling that comes, then I'm going to ask you to stand Right where you are, if he comes. If he doesn't come, you just stay where you are. But if he comes, you stand to symbolize that you're standing with him in this step that he's taking today. Here's the resolution. By God's grace, I will take responsibility for myself. I will take responsibility for my wife. I will take responsibility for my children. By God's grace, I will be faithful to my wife. I will love and honor her. 
by God's grace, I will bless my children and I will teach them to love God. I will confront evil, pursue justice, love mercy. I will pray for others, treating them with kindness, respect, and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I will forgive those, by God's grace, who have wronged me. And by God's grace, I will reconcile with those that I have wronged. And I will repent of sin. I will walk with integrity as a man that is answerable to God. And I will honor God and be faithful to His church and obey His word and do His will. I will courageously work with the strength that God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life and for His glory. Men, if this is your resolve, I invite you to come forward for an anointing. Man of God, I anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, you see what we cannot see. You see the heart. You know what you put in the heart. And in your wisdom, sovereignty, and power, you are calling it forth from the heart. And I pray for every man that has taken this step, for every woman that stands by her man, that the challenges in our families would be addressed by your grace, by your power, by your wisdom, by your love, by your redemption. We commit these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.